0: Kids, this is carl with an update on music to code by on january 4th 2016 i released the 11th music to code by track gold that's right there are now 11 25 minute tracks including the original three and you can download them all in one big zip file for less than 50 bucks at mtcb.com Dotnet Rocks Episode
1: 1250 with guest Barbara Fushinka Recorded Wednesday, January 13th, 2016
0: Guess what? It's time for Dotnet Rocks. This is Carl Franklin and this is Richard Campbell in the Fishbowl at NDC London coming at you, and uh, Barbara Fushinska is here with us. We're going to be talking about R, but uh, f- first, uh, you know, I just got a chance to sample the food that they have here. NBC always does a great job with this, all these different food stations. This time, uh, everything that I've had so far has been very, very tasty mm. and, and a spicy, like gumbo, curry, oh, really? that kind of thing. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, good stuff. I remember back in the, fir- the first few times
1: they did this, we were always at the barbecue station, right? <laughs> well, the
0: very first time they did it, it was like hot dogs. Hot dogs were the thing in Norway, right? Yeah, yeah. And this was originally the Norwegian Developers Conference. Now it's just the NDC. The NDC, not, yeah. yeah. But uh, the, the, the Norwegians love their hot dogs, yeah. apparently. So, yeah, hot dogs. Hot dogs, it. hamburgers. And there fork. was another thing that they had here that was like a hot dog, but, oh, maybe that was Amsterdam in Amsterdam they had what were those things that Frickendell Frickendell oh, geez, oh my god <laughs> nasty I thought hot dogs were nasty those uh, are nasty you know cow
1: udder. what are you worried Chicken about
0: Lips and <laughs> I don't know bologna flavor who knows anyway enough about that okay. uh, let's get into better know a framework awesome alright dude what do you got Deep Link Dispatch. Interesting. Deep Link Dispatch provides a declarative annotation-based API to declare Android application deep links. Android application. Android application. Yeah, it's just for Android. Okay. So basically, you know what a deep link is. When you have a link that opens your app to a particular page right. or with some data or context
1: around it. If you go to a link with a show number on the .NET Rock site, I mean, it yeah. pops the site and pulls
0: up the show. Yep, exactly. So there's a good example of it. So in an app, uh, you can register an activity, which is, you know, in the land of Android, that's the main block of code there. Sure. That handles uh, specific deep links by annotating it with at deep link and a URI. And Deep Link Dispatch will parse the URI and dispatch the deep link to the appropriate activity along with any parameters specified in the URI. And it also supports callbacks. It's a really cool API. You can check it out at me And I thought it was pretty cool. It's getting some noise. It came across my desk and thought I would give them a little some props. Awesome, dude. That's a good find. Yeah. Well, who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1086,
1: one of the ones we did on uh, statistical uh, analysis, specifically statistical genomics, with Evelina Gabasova. Mm-hmm. And this is back in uh, early 2015. I think we may have even recorded it at NDC London. I'm I think it was. I think, I, I think it was as well. Yeah. And this comment comes from, uh, we were talking about some machine learning, and yeah. statistical analysis and so forth. And it was a very much more a science-based conversation, which I thought was really fun. Uh, and Gordon Watts agrees, because he said, the discussion about how different bug hunting is in the scientific realm than in the programming realm really resonated with me. In scientific programming, nature is the ultimate unit test. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Often we only find bugs when we have more data so that we can see the bugs. I find I write almost no unit tests when I'm writing scientific code, but I write lots of unit tests when I'm writing other types of code. And if you think about the typical CRUD app, you already pretty much know what the behavior is supposed to look like, so it's it's quite a bit easier to build test uh, code around it. And I really like the comments about involving software engineers and others in projects. In collider particle physics, like at the Large Hadron Collider, sadly, most scientific programming is done by the scientists. And very few of us have any formal training. And what training we have is from decades ago. Imagine letting that many untrained people loose on a large C code base. (laughs) Look at the hoogly boogies. Shut (laughs) this. Uh, I'm with you, Gordon. It's uh, it's not an easy thing. And it's interesting just to think in terms of uh, programming professionals versus programming as this side thing you're doing adjacent to your job. But uh, on the other hand, you're at the Large Hadron Collider, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and i really like to send a mug to the Large Hadron Collider, too. So, Gordon, thank you so much for your comments. Uh, take a picture. Rocks. Yes, please take a picture. <laughs> Standing next mug. to the collider with your dot <laughs> All 30-something kilometers of it. <laughs> And we'd love to send you a mug. So a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET or on any of our social media. We post every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you write a comment there, we read it on the show.
0: We'll send you a mug. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. We eat tweets for lunch. And that brings us to our guest today. Barbara Fushinska is a software developer and mentor to aspiring developers. Barbara gained experience with team dynamics, and this has led to her strong belief in shaping a proper working environment. She trusts this allows high-functional teams to reach their full qualities. Alongside building passionate teams, Barbara enjoys collaborating around architectures. She's currently speaking at conferences in between working in London, tweets at Basia Fushinska, and blogs on BarbaraFushinska.com And that's F-U-S-I-N-S-K-A.com Welcome Barbara
2: Welcome Hi
0: Hi 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 So uh, you're new to London
2: I am Yeah I'm fairly new I moved here in 2014 Wow. Yeah, so but it, it's been amazing so far.
0: Okay, very good. <laughs> and, and natively, you are from Poland, right?
2: I'm from Poland. I lived in Krakow for like 14 years. Mm-hmm. I come from a little town in Poland, not from Krakow. I wasn't born there. Okay. But I moved to Krakow for it's uni. a university town, right? It is a university yeah. town. This is why I moved there. Yeah. And I just stayed because it's also one of the biggest cities in Poland. So Did you study does- computing science? I did study Computer Science, yeah. Okay. Yeah, at the University of Science and Technology in Krakow.
1: So you're actually a professional, unlike us amateurs. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you fall in love with statistics?
2: So um, when I tried to uh, figure out my major uh, on my, like, subject when, when, we, uh, when I went to uni, because this is what we need to do before we go to uni. Right. We need to... Uh, you have pick to up and, decide. Uh, we need to decide what what are you going to study. Right. There is like n- no choice after that. You can change your subject, but then you're just starting from the beginning. Right. So uh, I was always always good at math, and I loved math. So that that was my love since I actually remember. wow! Oh, wow. Great. Uh, my dad used to like. Uh, we, we, instead of telling bedtime stories or, or uh, in the morning where we're saying uh, hello to each other, he is a math, math teacher, he used to give me like, mathematics, math tasks, yeah. problems, so I could uh, uh, like power numbers when I was six. Nice, wow. and
0: A math family.
2: Me and my dad mostly, Mm -hmm. but yeah, the love to to maths is uh, running around the family. It's funny, you
0: just touched a memory in me where um, my father used to do, my father was an engineer. He used to do the same thing with my brother and I before, you know, going to bed, was that some nights it would be a bedtime story and some nights it would be mathematics.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah,
0: but then it sort of stopped, I think. Uh, I don't know why. Maybe it was my mother's cramming opera down our throats or something it sort of changed our brain it's only when I blew up the shed then we stopped <laughs> well you
1: have <laughs> a different. that's right? me alright anyway
0: so let's take let's talk about R and um, statistical computing in general and, and where R fits in that whole uh, whole thing is really fascinating to me
2: so R uh, lately became this big thing in data science big data statistical computing it's very what- hip it's very, very hip, and um, I know why, and I think r is is great for for free things, and what is not great at is the being easy to learn it's like an awful programming language uh, if oh, you wow. if you come from a proper programming language it, the learning boundary is is so so tough. Oh, interesting. Um, So you're
1: kind of at a disadvantage if you're an experienced programmer? Exactly.
2: So if you're like a Python programmer, Mm -hmm. you can jump in, right in, because the language syntax is very similar to any other language you already know. But R is like very, very weird.
0: So is it because there's a lot of symbols and things and a lot of things that you really just have to learn first off before you can even read it?
2: Um, not really. It's, it's more like a programming language written by statisticians. Yeah. Not by say people no actually knowing what a programming language is. Not by people. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> right. statisticians. Uh, it's statisticians. It's statisticians.
0: I've looked at the sample code of some, uh, you know, let's say uh, OpenCV comes to mind, like computer vision, which is sure. written by yeah. scientists. And the code is so bad and it's because like, they're not programmers, they're scientists, right. you know? And so that it, it doesn't really matter how what you feel about the language and how expressive it is.
2: And that's actually the point. Uh, when you're doing a little bit of data science or uh, statistics or data exploration... You actually don 't care about the quality of the code, sure what do you care is the the effect, the output yeah. mm-hmm. and
0: because you 're going to write it and run it, and then you 're done right
2: and actually you 're just throwing this code away right. Right. because you have the method, you have the model, and probably you will even write it in two lines which are actually allows you to do it at the end. but for this exploring thing, you don 't even keep this code maybe. For the next week, for for yourself, so right. you better name stuff properly. But but it's not the code that uh, is meant to be maintainable. You're
1: not going to be living with it for years, no. So you no. really don't care. Actually, okay. I mean, it, there's a practicality there too, right? Yeah. It's like I don't need to make this that pretty. It's only going to do this one thing. Something else will come from it.
2: And another thing that comes from this statistician writing uh, programming language thing is mm-hmm. that there are several ways to have the same output have the same uh, result it
1: wouldn't be a programming language if there wasn't multiple ways to do the same thing
2: but if you're thinking of some uh, programming uh, tasks in right. a normal language <laughs> the code usually looks similar right of course there are differences yeah. but, but the, the outcome is, is quite similar with R you can write like five different solutions the code looks completely different you use different data structures and same results
0: specific it because result? it's sort of uh, has m- multiple paradigms, right? Like, exactly, you can do object oriented, or you can make it functional, or array based, or
2: exactly. Yeah. I would I would say so. Although R is a functional language, mm-hmm. but none non in uh, in terms that we are used to think of functional languages. Okay, it's it's more like it based. It's based on functions, not on objects, mm-hmm. but it's also based on vectors on mm. data, t- data sets, data tables. Which kind of makes lists. sense
1: being a statistically oriented language. Exactly. The numbers should come first. And what about the object
0: orientation features?
2: So it is kind of there, yeah. but you don't have like... It's more like structures. It's more...
0: Data structures. Yeah, yeah.
2: less of the methods. Got it. Uh, although you can have um, functions as objects. So, so you can pass a function into another function or Mm -hmm. store it in some object.
0: That's what makes it functional.
2: Yes, but it's not like you're running a method on an object. I see. It's not a method, it's a function.
0: And I love this naming, like R, right? Which is actually (laughs) an implementation of
2: S. Of S, Which is
0: another language.
1: (laughs) Oh Wait a minute, we're going backwards now. How does that work? These all come back to Lisp in the end, right? Right. Sort of the original (laughs) functional language.
2: This is true. So,
1: so I guess
0: once we get to Z we're done, right?
2: <laughs> or A if we're going if backwards. We're going backwards.
0: <laughs> a, yeah. Oh no. Okay. What is S anyway and where did that come from? I know mean, R is some, like from the early 90s, right? But
2: Yeah, so I think S came from um, um Bells Labs. It was mm-hmm. a, a language for statistics. Yeah. S is yeah. from statistics, the the yeah. word. 70s. And and R is uh, just an uh, open source version of it. The commercial one is S, open source, and free is R.
1: OK. So is R actually like on GitHub, L- literally?
2: It's literally on GitHub. I think it's written in C, C++, and R. Of course. Of course. All the and languages it, should be written in, their, in, yeah. in themselves. Everything is open source. Everything is free, right. uh, including IDE, which is not great. No. But uh, it's okay. You're not writing systems. You're not writing infrastructures. You're not uh, uh, doing anything connected with parallelism.
1: At some point, we're going to end up talking about, I mean, Microsoft, quote-unquote, owns R now. Yeah. So that's going to have an impact on all this.
0: Hey, Rockheads. As Richard and I travel the world for the Azure World Tour, we're telling people all about our dev-centric friends at Stackify. They've been awarded PC Magazine Editor's Choice for Application Performance Management, stating, and I quote, The depth of application information provided by Stackify totally outshine the other products in this category, end quote. Because Stackify so successfully integrates errors, logs, and metrics into a core APM Plus tool, it's a must-have for .NET developers. Which is why PC Mag's Paul Farrell calls it one of the best infrastructure management services of 2015. Try Stackify now for free, and they'll ship you their coveted Developers Against Humanity card game. Just activate your account. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks To build better apps faster and get your free game. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not going to understand the answer at all, but somebody (laughs) out there is. So what are the statistical computing features of R that that somebody in that area of work would understand?
2: So um, if you're talking about that, I think there are two things. One is R is great for um, data exploration. So if you want to manipulate your data, transform uh, them into some way, Uh, find out if there are some missing data, replace those missing data, Mm -hmm. Uh, replace them with mean value, replace them with some other statistics that you you have. All those functions are already implemented, Mm -hmm. for one thing, and R makes it very easy once you get to know it. How to manipulate this data, how to transport them, and uh, what to actually do with just one line. Nice. Another thing is uh, machine learning algorithms. So, like linear regression or K means, KNN algorithm. Right. You only have one line that you need to run, while with other languages, you need to. Uh,
1: it's a huge amount of code.
2: You need to write the code, or you need to pick up some library right. that is not tested. Very well because, like, with C Sharp, who, who uses C Sharp for for machine learning, right? Right. Everyone uses R for machine learning, or, like, MATLAB for machine mm-hmm. learning. Right, MATLAB. Uh, I
0: hear a lot about that.
2: Yeah, but with R, all those algorithms are already written, tested, and prepared for your data, which might not be proper data. Which right. is... Which has the big problem, isn't it? Which has pros and cons.
0: Yeah, do, do statisticians and statistical computing people spend a lot of time cleaning up data before... It I
2: would say it's like 90% of what we do.
0: <sighs> yeah, Just trying to get your data clean. Yeah. That's frustrating.
1: Like That, that doesn't seem like the work you should be focused on.
2: Well, that's, that's the world we're living in.
0: So. Yeah. yeah. The world we're living in has messy data. And you can't count on algorithms to do that. It really takes a human at this point in time. Well, it, it really messes up the algorithm. Yeah. yeah.
2: It really does. And some of the data you're gathering can be, like, duplicated, and you don't know because of this huge amount of data. Sure. You first yes. need to clean it to actually explore it, and then when you explore it, it's like, oh, uh, for for this whole time, I've been gathering the wrong data. Right, yeah. I should I'm... should go back and do it again in the next two weeks for gathering the data.
1: Yeah. yeah. Going I mean, back It's and amazing forth. how long you can lie to yourself, like, yeah. <laughs> you can go a long way down a path of just like you, you're misunderstanding. And it's the demographic data. Like, generally, the, ma- the, the order value, order sales, like those kinds of hard currency numbers, because mm-hmm. they're checked all the time, because they actually represent people's payments and things, right. they tend to be right. Yeah. But all of the other information around that yeah. is a mess. Yeah. Addresses are a mess. Names demographic data address. is a mess. Yeah.
2: Not to mention stuff like Twitter. No. People are analyzing Twitter. It's like pure text yeah. and not even like gra- grammatically correct text. Yeah, very <laughs> grammatically
0: incorrect text. And exactly. looking for keywords is about all you can do there. Misspelled keywords. Yeah, exactly. Leeted keywords. Abbreviated stuff. So I mean, the so linear, nonlinear modeling, this kind of stuff is what you can expect to do with R. Um, maybe... S- Speak to those, uh, again, the, the statistics people about things they may not know about it, about R, its capabilities.
2: Well, um, I spoke to people that don't know R and are expecting stuff from from like a statistical library or tool or, or a language. So, in my opinion, R is great for what we said data exploration, cleaning data, mm-hmm. shaving the yak. Too. Wait a I minute, mean, uh, R
0: helps you clean the data? Yeah. It does.
2: It does. How does one go about doing that? So it offers you very clean structures once you know okay. R, how to like, replace missing values. So it goes
0: through the data and then when it sees something it doesn't understand, it well, tells you. It throws an exception. You
2: can think of like an algorithm what, what data would be incorrect or mm. dirty, Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can just uh, replace those data with something else or with null no values if, if this is acceptable. Because we sometimes expect from the real world, uh, let's say, a column of data within a some range.
0: Yeah.
2: And you get something, some other number or right. a string.
0: Yeah, what year were you R- born? 5,460,000. Exactly. <laughs> so,
2: so obviously, that's that's not the information you're you're looking for. So, R offers you a lot of techniques, a lot of uh, syntax to to recognize those wrongly data, wrongly mm-hmm. wrongly uh, captured and data. You either
0: ignore them or replace them with
1: an average. <laughs> Whatever or
2: you yeah. want, exactly.
1: And you said very quietly in there, I think, shaving the yak. What? You ever heard this yak shaving? Well, yeah, but I didn't
0: hear her say shaving. <laughs>
2: I'm pretty sure you said you shaved the I, yak. I actually said that. Yes. Yeah, this is, wow, uh, this I is something that. I heard from Seth uh, uh, Suarez. Yeah, And I think it's like great analogy to what statisticians are doing.
1: Well, it's so much of even regular software development, too, is all these little fiddly things that don't really look critical to the overall goal. Yeah. But if you don't do them, they will bite you later yeah
2: this is one thing, but with mm, machine learning with statistics mm-hmm. it's more like you know you have a good model for this, so right. it it takes you to ninety percent of your like output right and then it and it took you two hours right and then you're working for two weeks
1: for the last ten percent
2: for the last three <laughs> percent.
1: Mm. <laughs> Actually,
2: but, there is a rule. If you have like 100% uh, of accuracy in your algorithm, you're probably doing something you're wrong. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you're, you're overfitting. You're You're lying to yourself.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Be happy. Yeah, 93, you should stop.
2: Yeah, yeah. That, that's a fairly, that's fairly good. good one.
0: So, you know, Seth is big on machine learning. We, we talk to him about it a lot. What, uh, what's the difference between statistical computing or what R does and machine learning? Or do, is it used for machine learning?
2: So machine learning is, I would say, like a set of algorithms mm-hmm. that takes your statistical data or your real data, your real world data, and try to predict something mm-hmm. for yeah. the future or try to make sense of your data mm. because there is a difference between a supervised and unsupervised learning so right. it's like every 101 course on machine learning starts with this supervised Purvised and unsupervised, unsupervised. and oh, they always start with classification problem and binary classification uh, so you take your data and you, and you need to think how do you want to use them which is in my opinion the, the hardest part mm-hmm. If you know what are you looking for, you're like halfway there. Yeah, at least because there is like some graph and algorithm, which which al- machine learning algorithm to use, uh, which um, attributes are more common, most common and and well known. So if you know what do you want to predict, mm. you're almost there. Yeah,
1: is it really a, that simple? A table. Once you know, hey, I'm I'm looking to find new customers, figure out where they're coming from. You know you. I think a lot of developers have a fairly good picture of the domain they're working in. And so they do, you know, they're getting those as requirements, right? That we want to be able to do this. But translating that into the right, should this be supervised or unsupervised? What algorithm should be applied to it? Like that sounds like you need to know a fair bit about statistics to to make those decisions.
2: More about machine learning about than machine statistics. Learning. Okay. Because people are actually, I know people that don't know much about statistics. Mm-hmm. They're more like developers and know machine learning algorithms. Mm. And statistics is covered by some tools.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: You need to know some distributions that they are there. Right. Sure. But you don't really have to understand it fully.
1: Und- under the hood.
2: To, to use.
1: The same way you don't need to fully understand encryption, uh, cryptography, to be able to use an
0: encryption algorithm. Exactly. Yeah. You just need to know there is one, here's how it's I called. I want standard deviation, I call the standard deviation function. That's right. it, and that's all I do. I don't need to know how it works. <laughs> um, that's,
2: that's exactly what I'm, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, is it this really this simple? Mm-hmm. It is, and it, it's not, because there is a graph, I think, on Azure ML page. Right. So you want to predict something, and it just leads you... Which algorithm you mm. should use?
1: So they they sort of work, come put together a, a working a workflow for. If we okay, you want to figure this out. This how yeah, we go there. and
2: now all those data scientists are losing their jobs because I told you <laughs> that there is a graph. <laughs> so um, what I would say, if you want to try and if you want to start, start with it, and it probably will lead you to the right direction. The, okay.
1: get you to ninety percent or eighty uh, percent. That's
2: that's uh, quite possible. Okay, uh, but. The problem might be uh, with the problem you're trying to solve, mm-hmm. with the output you're uh, trying to gain, right. and then after you're doing this, it's like, this is not what I wanted to achieve. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go back. Well, I've built a lot of
1: software <laughs> like that, actually. Yeah,
2: Yeah. so uh, data, data scientists, whatever this means mm-hmm. nowadays, mm. uh, are people who are making sense of the problem of the data and mostly of the output that you're yeah. trying to
1: I do think this is a very challenging exactly. aspect of this whole thing is coming up with questions that have answers you could take action on mm-hmm. you know I've been doing a lot of work on instrumenting applications to figure out are they running well are they running poorly and actually deciding what that means is fairly hard you know, it, One of the things we talk about is, is this a metric where if the number goes up, you know what to do? If the number goes down, you know what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, it, Is there an action that can be taken against it? I think it's, it's got to be the same kind of problem. It's it spars- all kinds of numbers. It, well, it, it seems to me that's why level. you start
0: with the question, what do you want to know, right? Yes. Whereas when you're instrumenting, you're just like, I want to know everything. And now... Uh, then pretty
1: quickly you find out, no, I <laughs> don't
0: oh, I <laughs> really want to know everything. <laughs> well...
2: Yeah. Actually, this is very similar. I okay. often get uh, from, uh, for example, my boyfriend who is producing some, his users are producing some data and he's like, take my data and make some sense from it.
0: Right. Mm. What, does that what does that mean? Yeah, yes. Was,
2: yeah. so, um, it's
0: data, definitely. Definitely yeah, data. Yeah, I, okay. I, can, I, I, can, I can
2: do something with it, but how useful would it right. be for, here's for you? The,
1: here's the total of all those numbers added together. I've done something with it. <laughs>
2: That's, that was exactly my response. Did you really?
0: Some <laughs> the of these numbers it is. is. Well,
1: you said something. Do yeah. something. There's something. Yeah.
2: And uh-huh. I think uh, the most part of data scientist jobs is figuring out with the client, with right. the person who will use this, uh, those conclusions. Mm. What are we actually trying to achieve? Right.
1: This is totally requirements gathering, right? Absolutely. How many yeah. times yeah. have you done I mean nobody ever hires you when you're the project lead to do business process re engineering. Mm. But how many times have you we up, done yeah, that? Yeah. Because you go in and your job of scrutinizing, okay, what is it you do all day? You know, where can we insert automation to make things better? It means you take apart the work tree, yeah. you, know, you sort of understand how the workflow is done, and then you're going to try and auto- to, to the goal of automating pieces of it, and invariably you end up changing it in the process. I've got to think as you go down this path of what is it we're trying to understand, it's more of a what is it we're going to try and do to improve things, and that, and you back into what we can learn from statistics. Hey, Richard.
0: Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is uh, now? Must be that happy time again. Yeah, time to replace our data's mean values with nicer values. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Ooh, stats humor. Good one. <laughs> Oh, aren't those guys nice? <laughs> uh, it's actually time to give away a experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Adam Hesch from Mandeville, Louisiana. Huh? Congratulations, Adam. Golf clap for you, sir. Yeah, golf clap for Adam and Adam just won the D experience subscription a big pile of awesome from Dev Express and if you don't know what we're doing here go to .netrocks.com, click on the big get free stuff button answer a few questions and join the .netrocks fan club we have thousands of members all over the world In every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors and every December we give away a $5000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .netrocks fan club but you got to sign up to win And now it's your turn, Barbara. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy?
2: Okay, so lately this IoT thing Uh is uh, another buzzword.
1: The IoT Uh, thing has gotten a hold of the data scientists. Look out. Thing thing.
2: It is and it is not. Uh, If I had $5,000, I would spend it on some hardware, I would say. And it would be like... The raspberry pies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of that small hardware. It's pretty cheap, you know. Yeah. It is pretty cheap, fifty to hundred dollars a piece. Yeah. Like but a lot, a lot but then
2: you need some accessories, yeah. some mm-hmm. cables, some other stuff. It would mm-hmm. be gone.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Sooner you than anything. A, you have a pile of gadgets mm. with blinky lights. I don't on How about them. a pile? Maybe a wall. A wall. A wall of <laughs> A wall of raspberry Pis oh, oh man.
2: Wall of IoT. That'd be
0: great. <laughs> IoT walls. I kind of like that. Yeah. Pretty neat. That's a new business idea for those budding entrepreneurs. Go. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you're, you're right.
1: You could certainly blow all that money on that. And then you've got all the stuff you need to figure out and hook up and tinker with. And what are you programming besides R?
2: Um, like daily basis, yeah. I'm a C-sharp, C-sharp developer. Sharp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. so, yeah, you
0: can program all the IoT you want, C-sharp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do the two interact in any way?
2: Um, I think that you can do some stuff with C, but uh, I haven't heard anyone recommending it. Mm. When I look at Arduino uh, code, I could understand. So it's like Java ish oh. things, yes. okay. object oriented. So yeah. I'll it, be fine. It's definitely
0: related. And so, where does R run? In what environments?
2: So it's cross-platform. Oh, very good. So I used to uh, use R in Windows, but I moved to Mac uh, like half a year ago. Mm -hmm. It it works perfectly there.
0: Is this something you typically run on a desktop, or would you run this in a a service in the cloud somewhere?
2: If you want your algorithm to process uh, a lot of data... I wouldn't recommend it to run it on your desktop, though, but that's obvious because of the size of the data. Sure. Uh, if you use Azure ML, uh, you can put your R module there, yeah. and it will just process in the cloud. Uh, but I wouldn't recommend to use uh, Azure ML I- as an IDE. I would recommend to use it, your R Studio on your desktop and then put the code there. I see. And check how it works. So,
1: studio has tooling to make R a little easier to work with?
2: More like uh, Azure MR is not mature enough for ID for R. Oh, okay. It has a very small window. It's more like graphic wizardy thing that mm-hmm. you drag and drop. And for R, you have a very small window. It spreads when you try to write the code. Yeah. But it's still just a window with the text. So, it's, and
1: it's really an a interpreter. Cut and, paste window.
0: and it's an interpreter, it right? It is
2: int- interp- an yeah. interpreter.
0: Mm-hmm. But you can still write, of course, you know, functions, procedures, and all of that. Yeah, stuff, but of just
2: IDE gives you uh, a lot of other tools.
0: Okay. Matrix arithmetic—that's uh, what it's very good at, isn't it? Uh,
2: yes, but I would say matrix arithmetic is much better in MATLAB.
0: Okay.
2: R is more like a lot of libraries, a lot of tools out of the box mm-hmm. can just take and use, but also right. matrix arithmetic because sometimes you need it. But if you just want to use the alg- the algorithms you don't even have to think of matrices.
0: Okay, tell us what a data frame is.
2: Well, data frame is a data structure in R that basically represents what we are um, what you encounter first time when you try to learn some data science. So, okay. uh, if you try to read data from CSV file, uh-huh. you have them in rows but in columns. Mm-hmm. Yep. And every column can be diff- of different type. Mm. It c- they can be numbers, they can be strings, but mm-hmm. they c- also can be like categories which are called factors in mm. R. So data frame is this representation of your data in columns by rows. And R gives you a lot of syntax uh, to manipulate those data frames. Uh, this is basically the main data structure so will be working. So it's a structure, working.
0: like a struct. Maybe
2: it is a list when you go to the type of this okay. structure. It's more more like a type built from other types.
0: Mm-hmm. I've heard it re- described as sort of like analogous to a relational database table.
2: Yes and no, because you don't like uh, if it's a table for sure. Mm-hmm like CSV file, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a table, but you don't put, like, uh, keys and relations between okay. it. Okay. So it's, it's a table, but I it's wouldn't table, say relational. relational. Yeah. Okay, I get that. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because you don't, you don't put a constraint between them.
2: Yeah, but I wouldn't say it's like a NoSQL index, that's okay. how, we, yeah, how yeah. you call it, right. because it has a structure. Right. It has columns and it has so rows. So it's a
1: structured table. It's but struct- not necessarily relational. Well, uh, yeah. it's important to remember, like, before the relational database, we had these table-style ty- structures, network tables and so forth, that were, were ways to store data. They just weren't relational.
2: They weren't relational, they weren't indexed, and yeah. there are a bunch of stuff that databases introduced. But they introduced. are
1: structured. They do have rules. The, the data types must match to fit yeah. into the columns yeah. and so on. I got to think that category... Feature that or the category typing is really useful for building essentially a glossary of terms of of uh, analytical terms for for your data.
2: Yeah, like when you have a classification problem. Yeah. And you want to assign uh, some uh, some rows, some uh, objects to some labels, then you you have this categorical data and they're very very useful right. in this case.
1: So I mean, certain chunks of your data you'd naturally fall into categories
0: like the state in an address
2: or yeah. a
1: zip
0: code, yeah. those kinds of yeah. things. I'm trying to think of the questions that somebody who is in statistics would want to ask you about, Are maybe I could sum it up by saying, uh, does it have any shortcomings? Is there anything that it can't do? Or, I mean, you, you mentioned that MATLAB is better for matrix uh, arithmetic, but in terms of statistical functions, is there anything missing?
2: Well, I don't think there is like anything missing that I've encountered. But mm-hmm. I'm not a statistician, so I, I, I would mm. say more developer, data scientist person. I see. Uh, so if there is something missing, that will be st- very cl- quickly written mm. Mm. because right. the community is huge and people are still contributing, still so, mm. uh, putting up new packages. And statistical functions are pretty much covered.
0: Yeah. So th- there's lots of lots of people pouring energy into this, so that helps. That's for sure. How do you get people started with R and without losing their minds? Especially, let's talk to the C Sharp and VBNet developers out there.
2: Yeah, that's, that's not easy.
0: <laughs> You're going to lose your mind. In um, <laughs> <laughs> Just accept it and you'll well, I, be Like happy.
2: Recently, uh, I, I shown some R to Seth, who is a data scientist, but mm. n- hasn't seen R before. And he almost lost his mind on, like, online giving an interview mm. wow, wow. <laughs> um, it, it's really hard language to start with but I would recommend a lot of patients mm. just you know, go for a coffee or have a day break <laughs> go back and it all uh, makes sense at the end uh, you just need to get used to some some structures, There's, there are plenty of materials online uh, there lots of
1: samples too. I'm finding all kinds all, of samples. Lots and of things.
2: samples. There are uh, community uh, websites, and basically, if you don't know how to do anything, f- something, somebody you does. Just, somebody does.
1: I mean, is the the community fairly friendly? These are this is a fairly specialized area.
2: Uh, I've seen some nasty comments. Yeah.
1: Yes. D- that's what I'm afraid of, right?
2: <laughs> but people are usually. Hmm, I wouldn't call it friendly, but I would call it helpful. Right. People like to find out new ways how to do something in R and brag about it.
1: Right. Oh, so, okay.
2: so it's definitely so helpful. So you can bring
1: them a problem, but understand they're going to enjoy answering their way to each other more than they're necessarily going to answer it for you.
2: But you end <laughs> yeah. up with like five ways. Yes, yeah,
1: so you're going to end up with five ways, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you'll never know which one's the best one until you really try, to try them all.
2: Well, but it's yeah. easy to try them all. Yeah. So,
0: If they all do the same thing, what is best? I mean, yeah. the what one is you can read? <sighs> I, I don't know. That's the way I would look at it. But um, can we go over maybe a, a, a short glossary of terms for those who are new to the whole area? Like, for example, I hear you talk about vectors and matrices and things like that, but maybe your average C-Sharp developer doesn't know what we're talking about.
2: So there are uh, just few types as types in R. Uh, those are character types. There is double, which is our double. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, there is numeric type, I mean integer type, which doesn't mean integer as we know. Mm. Integer type is actually a factor, it's a category that you can assign. So it, it can be number, it can be string. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and there are vectors, actually everything in R is a vector. In the okay. end, right. Like in MATLAB, everything is a matrix. Right. Mm-hmm. And there are lists, and there are a bunch of stuff that are combination of all of, the, okay. all of those stuff. Data frame, as we already said, it's like a table, uh, something that you would be working the most with. Mm-hmm. And what else? Then you just jump in into machine learning mm-hmm. algorithms, mm-hmm. and they usually are called the same uh, as as in natural language. So like, linear regression is. L. Mm, and uh, k-nearest is like the k-nearest neighborhood uh, algorithm. Right. With the data manipulation, if you want to do something with the data and you don't know how the function is called, mm. try, try to, to um, use English word. Like if you want to sort, you use yeah. sort. If you want unique values, you just use unique. Right. And uh, there is something called help. So if you don't know what some function is doing, if you see a sample of code, just use yep. help, the name of the function, and uh, it, will, it will come up to you. Whenever you're uh, installing a package, because there are tons of them, it comes with the help for all the functions in this, uh, in this package. OK. Uh, if you use RStudio, there is IntelliSense. Mm. So when you're declaring a variable of some type, and you, um, you can, like, put a dot or a dollar, which is very, very weird thing in, in R. Uh,
1: Not just a dot. Dollar?
2: Dollar. Dollar is, like, an, something that gets you to access fields in your, in your structure, like an arrow in C++, right. C++ just different way how to yeah. access stuff. And then you can access some, some fields. In so your, when
1: you're using dot, you're navigating the hierarchy of objects... You're in C-sharp. In C-sharp. Yeah. When you're dealing with a dollar in R, you're It's, like, it's
2: like a dot, but, right. <laughs> but different, <laughs> more, but different yeah. because everything is different in, in R. <laughs> uh, so I would, I would recommend to get to know data structures. Uh, um,
0: is, is a, is a, could you think of a vector for a C-sharp developer, thinking of a vector maybe like an ordered list?
2: It's like an array out.
0: Like an array? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, because it needs to have the same type element. Okay. So, so it's like an array. Yeah. But it's a vector. It's called a it's vector, vector in, in R. <laughs> <cooler. Yeah. laughs> but it's
1: But cooler. But it can be multiple dimensions, right? I mean, you can keep going deeper yes. and deeper with vectors yeah. as well. That's true of arrays also, yeah. to a certain limit. And it may or may not be numbers. So it's like a multi dimensional collection.
0: You know, it's funny that it just these constructs like arrays and lists and stuff, what you do with them and you, the way, how you feel they're limited is really a sign of the times, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if I was doing a 36-dimensional array, you'd go, what are you doing? Why would you do <laughs> that? What are you doing, yeah. right? But if I did a 36-dimensional ordered list or a uh, collection, <laughs> uh, something you'd be, oh, that's very sophisticated, Mr. <laughs> Franklin. That's very good. You keep that up, sir. Yeah. Well, we just very
1: strange. we learned arrays at a time when technology was so constrained right. that building stuff like that would break it. Yeah. We didn't get ordered lists and and collections until we had that horsepower. That's not that big a deal. It's just so funny how rules change. Yeah, and again, it's like because you, it's almost like because you're old, you think about yeah, these things differently. Because right. it's like when you learned it, well, some, of, some of us are old. <laughs> some of us are not. When you're old, yeah, he said, pointing to Carl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well. On a radio
0: show. My, that's right. Hand gestures on a radio nope, show. No, it doesn't work. Okay. Um, what else can we talk about here that we haven't discussed about our... Are we trying to convince uh, people to go check it out?
2: I would, uh, I would try this because uh, it might look scary, but...
0: Might? <laughs> uh, it looks pretty scary to me. It, it looks <laughs> scary. And I'm just an average developer. I don't
2: know. <laughs> okay. It looked scary for me at, the, at first. Of course and uh but I wanted to to learn something new. Mm-hmm. So I was quite stubborn in in learning, and once I get to know all those structures and now I even give a workshop on that. Right. To, okay. to just understand the, the data structures and the manipulation techniques of the data. It just becomes easier.
1: Sure. But it almost reminds me of learning SQL in the context of developing a piece of software. Mm. It mm. kind just of is like this. For a specific task. Yeah. But doing analysis. You just
2: need to learn the rules. Yeah. And then you can conquer the oh.
1: <laughs> The funny part is it's the other side of that. We learn the SQL to get the data into a store. This
0: is now pulling the data out and doing something useful with it.
2: Well, you're also learning SQL to do queries, right? Ah, yes,
0: yeah. Uh, in integrations and uh, working with other systems like Hadoop maybe. Yeah. What, is this possible where, you know, how, how do we integrate with uh, I- other systems?
2: So, uh R um, has a lot of packages to just work with regular databases, mm-hmm. or when, when we talk about Hadoop can just stream data from Hadoop and, mm. and consume them in R. Right. And The problem with R, maybe not with R, with any language that you just use on your desktop, is it can only process as much da- data as can fit into your memory. right? right? right. Uh, so it's not like the R disadvantage. You just need to be smarter. Either you download all the data you need and, and process them in memory, or you stream them and, and use them in packages. And then, then do something smart with it.
0: So, R really has to work with data in memory, is what you're saying?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. R is not really good with a lot of data, but I, I couldn't imagine uh, a programming language that works in memory that, mm. that will work with, with big data without sure. streaming or some kind of a technique like sure, this. Sure, when
1: you think about what Hadoop's good at, it's about distributing that data across multiple nodes so that you can parallelize execution. Yeah, yeah
2: and then on those nodes, it just works with a specific works amount of memory. data, yeah. right?
1: Yep, sure. So you spread the data out yeah. into different pools of memory. Makes sense.
2: So this is, this is one thing, and another thing is uh, you can use R modules in some other programming languages. So mm. if you just want a piece, of, uh, piece that R is really good at but you just want the output of it, right. you just use R package, like in F sharp or in C sharp. Just call to it. Just call it, take the output, you're done.
1: And what would it return? And once again? I guess it'll return
0: whatever.
2: It would return a data structure that is uh, in your programming language. Right, right. right?
0: reflective <laughs> of what the question you've yeah. asked. Well, I can imagine using that. There, I assume there's no parallelism or asynchronous Stuff in R, no. so I can Not assume really. like you know you could take advantage of you know C sharp's parallelism mm-hmm. or another language's parallelism. Yeah, and just run make our calls modules. into R yeah. modules, and then yeah. now you've got it.
1: And it comes yeah. back out. Yeah, and but the results you're going to get back are going to be the question you asked. Yeah, yeah essentially, yeah. it's like what, yeah, yeah, what's, yeah. what's right. the recommendation list? given given these uh, car, items in a shopping cart? What other things should we recommend?
2: You can even you know implement your own map reduce sure. using yep. R.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to it's me. A, you know, web services lends itself to this really nicely. We can, we can hide R behind a web service wrapper, and you pass it the set you, you, you've you started with. It returns the set you you, you want, and what happens behind the hood is not your problem. And you
0: throw microservices into this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and splitting up in that do way, and, you know, the sky's the limit, I can think. It really takes a lot of imagination to, you know, sort of come up with these Yeah, this uh, most the thinking through the problem.
2: Yeah, yeah, funny you mentioned that. Like, Azure ML, you not only can just your R modules or any uh, of of the machine learning algorithms. You can also put the endpoint there, and right. you can just use Azure ML as a tool to to put out the the endpoints, and you can just use them in your code.
0: Nice, yeah, nice, indeed, just part of the system. What's I like the, it a lot. What's the most frustrating thing about R?
2: So I keep thinking, like in an objective way, I keep coming back to my roots and I started programming in C and then C sharp Java in the meantime. Mm -hmm. And then I forget that R does a lot of stuff for you. Like you're not type safe. Right. And sometimes it just converts the data. Mm. It's being helpful. Somewhere there. It's being helpful. It's Mm. just trying to do stuff for you. Mm -hmm. But you need need to be really, really conscious. Um, Yeah. Well, you get this, all those is, silly type
1: conversions
0: that happen. This
2: is okay. one thing. And another is very, 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 very frustrating. It's an awful error messages. Oh. They never tell you what it actually is. There wow. is a website out there. If you Google weird R language messages, there's a whole <laughs> website gathering those messages. I'm looking for that. And, and if you get this message, it might be one of those five things. Check oh. out those five things.
0: Oh, that's terrible.
2: And this message doesn't mean none of those five things.
1: Out. link number one translating weird r errors right that's right there i'm gonna
2: right? that in the
0: show notes <laughs> so i remember i was trained in audio engineering on a on a big mixing console called an ssl right which is about 30 feet long and it's a british uh, console and i remember the computer when you did something wrong would actually insult you Nice it would add the error message would be "You silly twit, what the hell are you thinking? you know <laughs> that kind of thing it was just great Awesome. that 's what it reminds me of
2: at yeah. least it was helpful
0: a little bit, <laughs> not that much, at least you knew you were a twit I suppose <laughs> so uh, that's great all right well uh, what's in what's next for you what's in your inbox
2: uh, in my inbox i'm Thinking of uh, creating um, a talk on how to use R as an integral integral part of your system, not not just standalone something mm. that you write in uh, into no, R. but not hours. using it as a general
1: purpose language, but is it? like SQL, an integral part of the app. How it fits the, into an existing
0: framework. I like that. that that's, great. that's
2: my idea. And another thing we didn't talk about that much is visualization in R. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it has been, a, like, lately Microsoft put it as a part of SQL Server oh, yeah. BI mm-hmm. using R capabilities of visualization mm-hmm. in Gigiplot, uh library. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has amazing capabilities. So the graphs great. are so pretty. Nice. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah,
0: I've been looking at a Mandelbrot set graph in the, in the documentation on Wikipedia here that's pretty beautiful. Is, it, is that, you know, if, if fractals appeal to you, are you <laughs> going to be drawn to art? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. All right, Barbara, it's been great talking to you.
2: It's been great talking to you too.
0: Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next time on .NET.